Hey, this is Eric McCoy. Welcome back to Recovering Through Highness. And I wanted to talk about a very interesting and important topic today. And it is on the success and failure rates that we're seeing with people in recovery. And I've had a lot of people over the years that I've worked with that are in and out of recovery, back and forth, back and forth. And I wanted to explore the reasons why we see this. I've been very discouraged over the years as a lot of programs will never change their tactics. They'll never change their quote-unquote solution. And again, I'm all about ideas, not solutions. Solutions keep us stuck. And people are different. And a solution for one person may be different than a solution for another person. And so that's why I'm really focusing on ideas. It was estimated that in 2017, there was about 20 million Americans that had a substance abuse problem, which is about 38% of adults that battled with some illicit drug use disorder. And there was only about 4 million people that received treatment, or about 19% of that near 20 million people. And so how many of those succeeded? And sadly, the success rate is very poor. And that's what I wanted to discuss today and one of the reasons why. And something that I had looked at many years ago when I opened up my own program in Anaheim, I I wrote a workbook and I really thought about the differences between the people that succeed versus the people that aren't succeeding. And we'll talk about the end on this about failure. I had written that book, Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. And I obviously talk about failure. And so I wanted to discuss briefly at the end of this what that actually means and does anybody really have to fail. And when I thought about why people succeed. The first thing that always comes to mind is motivation. The reasons why we do the things that we do. And if we look at it from a 12-step standpoint, and again, I'm not a big 12-step person, although it was the foundation for me. There was a guy that wrote a book about debunking the 12-step program. And the reason that he wrote this was because the success rate that he identified for the 12-step program was somewhere between 5 to 7% of the people that actually made it that went into this program. And if you look at percentages wise, how many of those people that go into the 12-step program are forced by the courts? Or how many of those people go in there because the treatment programs they're in are forcing them to go or they're living in a sober living house and they're required to attend so many 12-step meetings to live and stay in that house? And that percentage is very high. And I would probably say probably close to 85 to 90 percent of the people that go to the 12-step programs are there for that reason. It's a pretty high number and a high percentage. And I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of the people in the 12-step program fail, because they have no intention on getting a sponsor and working the steps and going to meetings after they're completed with what what it is that they're doing. And so motivation is the big part. And every single one of us is motivated by one of two ways. And the first way, which is the way most people are motivated, is to move away from some kind of painful experience in life. Now, the problem with this motivation is that it will never last because at some point that pain's going to go away. So if a judge tells you that you either go to jail for six months or go into rehab for 90 days, a lot of people, the lesser of two evils, would probably tell you that 90 days sober is better than six months in jail. Now, in 2002, when I had gotten arrested and I did the jail time that I was required to do, I also signed on a seven-year prison term. Now, that seven-year prison term did help me in the beginning, but if I didn't change that, I was going to relapse and I was going to go back to using because that pain eventually goes away. Today, I don't have seven years over my head. I could get arrested today and I would obviously have to deal with whatever consequences I was given, but I'm not going to go to prison for seven years based on what had happened all those years ago. And so eventually the judge, eventually probation, eventually parole goes away. 
day. And if that is all that's motivating you, then you will no longer stay clean and sober. And I can guarantee it. A second way to motivate ourselves, and this is something that we really need to think about, and this does not have to go away, is to motivate ourselves by moving towards something good or something better in our lives. Maybe you have some vision for yourself in your life that drugs and alcohol are not going to help you get. That good thing or that better vision, maybe a goal that you have dreamt of at some point in time in your life. You can do anything you want with your life within reason as long as you stop limiting yourself. So what kind of painful experience in your life brought you to treatment or brought you to the 12-step program or brought you to a place to where you started in recovery? And what is the reason that that motivation will not last on a permanent basis when pain is the reason? I'll give you a real quick paradox of change. This guy Steve Berg Smith wrote, when a person feels accepted for who he is and what he does, no matter how unhealthy, it allows him the freedom to consider change rather than needing to defend against it. So have you ever had a dream or a vision of what you want your life to look like? And if so, what is it? Think about it. Our mind does not know the difference between what we tell it and things that we experience. So let's create a positive reality for ourselves. If you were to stay clean and sober, where do you see yourself a year from now? Now, all of us create our own reality, and it can be a positive reality or a negative reality. And so it's not something I can actually tell you how to do because you already do it, but I'm going to explain it in a fashion of what this actually looks like. So how do we create our own reality? Well, the first thing that it starts with is our thoughts. Our thoughts create. Now, one of the things that people that use drugs are always running from are their feelings. But if we wanted to create a positive reality in our life, this is where we can utilize our feelings. Our thoughts create, but our feelings can inspire us. The third concept of what it takes to get that reality is our choices. Remember I had mentioned before in a podcast that choice is the father of freedom. And the fourth thing is beliefs. You have to believe that you can do it. Beliefs we have can either empower us or they can debilitate us. What can you get excited or passionate about? in this new life of recovery. The people that make this thing, they get excited, they have a drive, they have a vision, they have a passion, and those are the things that drive them, and those are the things that help them hold on to it. So another failure that I see with a lot of clinicians out there is that they talk about things or they tell clients things, but they don't teach it. And so I want to tell everybody that I am one that never tells anybody anything unless I am able to actually teach them how to do it. Because if I'm unable to teach somebody how to do it, then I don't really understand it. And impulse control, which is the next thing that I wanted to discuss, because I think that is a major reason why people fail. And it really is an excuse that people make. And you hear clients all the time, oh, I just have poor impulse control. Or you hear clinicians that also utilize that same thing and just, or you need to just learn impulse control. But they don't tell them how to do it. Every single one of us does everything that we do for a reason. And drugs and alcohol are no exception to this. We can act on impulse thinking only about one reason for doing something, not considering other factors that may play into this decision. So drugs or alcohol may provide an immediate relief for a stress, maybe boredom, anger, or emotional pain. But then you regret the long-term consequences that follow. Impulse control or good decision-making skills require the ability to defer immediate gratification for a bigger goal in life. Every action in your life has a consequence, and there are positive and negative consequences to everything that we do. 
So it's time that we start living with an active mind rather than a passive mind and start thinking about consequences before doing things, which is the most important tool to learning impulse control. And that's what impulse control is. So we look at our options. We say, hey, this is what I'm looking at. And these are the choices that I have. These are the options that I have. And one example that I always utilize with clients or people with substance abuse problems is the decision making on whether I want to stay clean or I want to go out and use. Impulse control is the only way that you're going to get people to make a decision that they want to stay clean and sober. I can sit there all day long and tell people that they have a problem, what they need to do, what they should do. But if they don't believe it, they're not going to do it. So part of what we need to do is we need to help them make the decision for themselves. And part of that is the concept of impulse control. Impulse control is about identifying consequences, looking at what are the reasons Results. What's going to happen if I make this decision? We need to get them to a place to where they no longer can use the excuse of, oh, I have poor impulse control. So what were the reasons that you started using drugs or alcohol? I look at methamphetamine, which was my drug of choice, and I can say it gave me confidence. It made me feel good. I was more outgoing. And so I had positive consequences to it. And then when did alcohol or drugs become a problem? The real tool behind impulse control, and in the beginning, we want to sit down and actually write it out until we can learn how to do this just as a natural habit. But if you were to utilize drugs or alcohol as an example, I can only think of two options. You have using (laughs) or sobriety. Those are really the two options you have. And so if you sat down and you looked at and you wrote out What are the positive consequences to sobriety? What are the negative consequences to sobriety? Flip the paper over. What are the positive consequences to using? And what are the negative consequences to using? So I'm going to give you a quick quote here. This is a guy by the name of E. Stanley Jones. And he says, everybody eventually surrenders to something or someone. You're free to choose what you surrender to, but you are not free from the consequences of that action. And so if you were to do that list, looking at the positives to using can actually be a very, very good thing, since some of them may not be so bad. If the positives to sobriety, though, outweigh the positives to using, then maybe we can find alternative ways of achieving the same thing without having to use drugs or alcohol to get them. Think about it. So if I come to the decision myself that the best choice and the best decision as I'm learning impulse control, the best decision for me to make is to stay clean and sober. But on the flip side, and what takes a lot of people out is the immediate gratification factor to fulfill what they are identified as the positive consequences to using. But if I can get passionate about sobriety and I can truly say that, you know what, being clean and sober is the only way for me to live and to achieve the goals that I'm trying to achieve in my life, I'm gonna definitely wanna look at the positives to using and maybe figure out alternative ways of achieving those. So if alcohol allows me a sense of relief from my stress, maybe we can find some stress management tools that allow me to manage it without having to experience all those negative side effects that come along with drinking. So according to my positives and negatives list, and if you look at the list, and hopefully maybe people are doing, what would be the best decision I could make regarding sobriety versus continuing to use? And give the reasons why. So you got to figure that out first. And then maybe you can look at alternative of ways of achieving the positives to using without having to pick up to get them. Once you get that list together, you want to ask yourself, will this really make me happy? And another question that's so important to ask when you're looking at impulse control 
am I willing to pay the price? Because whether you like it or not, you will pay the price. So we've discussed motivation and the reasons why people fail if they are motivating themselves by moving away from pain and never moving it towards the things that they want in their life. People get sober because of what they don't want while people stay sober because of what they do want. And then we talked about impulse control, the ability to learn how to make good decisions in life. So now we come to commitment. The only way that you will find long-term sobriety or clean time is you have to be committed to it. Relapse is not a part of sobriety or recovery like many people tell you. It's actually an excuse. I've been in meetings before and I hear people do this all the time that, oh, I slipped, I fell, I have a disease. It's actually an excuse because many people believe that relapse is inevitable and they'll eventually slip or fall. But relapse is a choice, just as sobriety is a choice. If I become truly committed to sobriety, I can stay sober no matter what happens. And that's what true commitment is. True commitment says that I can stay sober no matter what. There doesn't have to be anything in my life that I have to get loaded over. This may sound a little crazy, but I had a client I was working with many years ago who we discussed this concept of commitment. And he was adamant that I am committed. I'm fully committed. And I looked at him and I said, what if your kids die? Are you that committed? And that's obviously a tough one. But the reality being is that bad things are going to happen in life. Are we committed? So what are things that you would get loaded over? And what does commitment mean to you? And these are things that we have to ask ourselves. These are things that I don't really want to tell you because I need you to believe them for yourself. So if we're committed, if we are fully committed to this thing, it's time to raise our beliefs. Preparation does not begin with what you do. It begins with what you believe. And if you believe that your success tomorrow depends on what you do today, then you're going to treat today differently. And this is the true message behind goal fulfillment. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, that you can do anything you want with your life if you just believe it. Our beliefs can truly make us or break us and they can empower us or they can limit us. We don't describe the world we see, we see the world we describe. What beliefs do you have about yourself that limit you? I've heard a lot of people say, I can't stay sober. So I'm going to give you a word of caution. Eliminate the word can't from your vocabulary. What beliefs do you have that empower you? Now, a lot of people have heard about the term positive affirmations. A lot of people think it's very corny, but this is something that I did when I was early in recovery. And positive affirmations are a tool that you can use to change negative core beliefs that you may have about yourself. They're difficult to change. And the principle behind them is similar to what advertisers do. They create slogans, they create sayings that are designed to appeal to your emotions. And an emotion is a neurological impulse that pushes us to act upon something. They want you to get off your ass and purchase what they're trying to sell. They're relentless. They're consistent. And they use all the different forms of media. They use TV. They use radio, newspapers, magazines, billboards. And with positive affirmations, we're using the same principle. You create a saying that's designed to empower you and appeal to your emotions. The most difficult part about positive affirmations is what you have to do next. So you create them, but then you have to repeat them over and over and over throughout the day so they can sink into your subconscious. Your mind doesn't know the difference between what you tell it and things that you experience. This is also why people can lie to themselves over and over and start to believe their own lies. So I'm going to give you the concepts on positive affirmations, and I hope people do these. I think I encourage people to, to create some positive affirmations. And the first concept is you have to write them in I statements. They need to be positive, so you don't want to ever say, I am not something. And they have to be written as if they are already currently happening today. 
The ones that you want to do are ones that you do not believe. And you want to go back to that question about what belief do you have about yourself that limits you. And then you want to ask yourself, what belief do I need to have to achieve what I want? What belief do I need to have to achieve what I want? And those are where you want to start with your affirmations. I am confident and capable of staying clean and sober. I will stay clean and sober. So you want to write them in I statements. You want to write them as if they are already currently happening. And you want to make sure that they're positive. I'm going to tell you real quick tools for better living. There's three concepts here. Number one, choose well. We do this by looking at our options and we weigh those consequences, impulse control. Number two is you got to believe that you can do it. And the third is that passion. Passion is where you will find that magic. Acronym for magic, make a greater individual commitment. Got to have magic. So where could you apply some magic? Are there relationships or associations in your life that rob you of your passion? Get rid of those people. You want to have people in your life that love you, care about you, that got your back, and that will do anything to help you if you're in in dire need. Self-discipline. Self-discipline is that correction or regulation of yourself for the sake of improvement. So what does self-discipline mean to you and how can you apply it to your life? John Maxwell, he made a statement. He said, personal breakthroughs begin with a change in your beliefs. Why? Because your beliefs determine your expectations and your expectations determine your actions. So it's time that we change and we no longer need to fear change. Self-esteem does not find change frightening. So let's walk through our fears. What are the things that you have a hard time changing? Or what are you fearful of changing? There was this guy, Eric Hoffer, who said, in times of change, learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. I've said before, I'm an author, I'm a teacher, but I'm also a student. I got to remain a student. This guy, James Lore, made a statement, crisis and adversity are deeply woven into the fabric of human existence. Train every day to get as tough as possible. Exercise consistence, discipline, in all areas of life in order to be prepared for the inevitable emotional hit. Life's difficult, life's hard, but we can walk through this. We can walk through it together. We gotta set goals. We gotta know where we're going, what we're doing, how we're gonna do it, and why we're gonna do it. Identify a goal. Identify a goal for yourself and figure out what the benefit of that goal is, and that will help you find that passion. You need to give yourself a date because there's no action unless you have a date. What knowledge are you gonna need? What obstacles are you gonna face? Who can help you? How much money is it gonna cost? You look at all of those things and you can create a plan. Some of you guys may have heard this quote, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character because it becomes your destiny. This guy, Patrick Overton, when we walk to the edge of all the edge we have and take the step into the unknown, we must believe that one of two things will happen. There will be something solid for us to stand on or we'll be taught to fly. And that's faith. Gotta have faith. So self-esteem is defined as having the confidence in your ability to solve simple problems difficult problems, the ability to think, speak what you think, and the confidence to accomplish what it is that you put your mind to. And the other definition is related to your self-worth and self-respect. Addicts and alcoholics typically have low self-esteem, and since they usually will avoid problems, numb their feelings, lack the confidence to accomplish tasks without the use of drugs, and obviously lack self-respect, since we can't say that we are completely ignorant to the harmful effects that drugs and alcohol has on us physically, mentally, and spiritually. So we've already touched 
focus on a couple of components of self-esteem, such as goal setting and impulse control. So I want to talk about integrity, assertiveness, acceptance, and self-responsibility. Integrity is basically a code that we create for ourselves by defining our values, our morals, and then we live by them. Honesty is a component to integrity. So we're going to look at this also. So many people think of it as the things that you do when people are watching? And are they the same things that you do when nobody's watching? And so this is where you do need to briefly describe your values or the things that you really think are important. One reason that I believe people relapse is because they lose focus on their values. Now, how many of those things that you value will you keep if you return to using drugs or alcohol? What are the morals? In other words, what you feel is right or wrong, such as is stealing wrong? Which of your morals do you violate when you use drugs and alcohol? And studies have shown that the average human tells over 200 lies a day. So I ask you how average you are. What lies have you told in the last three days? So when you define what those values and morals are, you have to live by them. Integrity is an ideal. So it's nothing that we're ever going to be perfect at but it is something that we can work towards. When we identify mistakes or things that we've done, we learn from them and then we change them. And so integrity is extremely important. Self-responsibility. Now this is where we take control back over our lives. And the way we do this is we stop becoming a victim to other people, to other places or situations. Unfortunately, our society has taught us that we don't have to be responsible, especially if you look at all the lawsuits that are filed on a daily basis. So what are you responsible for? What are you not responsible for? How have you shown to the world that you're a victim and not taking responsibility for the things you identified you're responsible for? And how can you do them differently? Assertiveness. Assertiveness is defined as a very clear, open, honest form of communication where we don't violate the rights of other people, unlike aggressiveness. And aggressiveness is appropriate on the defensive, but it's never going to work on the offensive. If I'm trying to get a message across to you, then I don't want to put you on the defensive because you'll not hear the message I'm trying to get across to you. If you're passive, then it's obviously important for you to understand that you do have certain rights as a human being. And what are those rights? You have the right to speak your mind. You have the right to say anything and everything that you want to say. You have the right to your own beliefs, just as I do. Who do you have a hard time speaking to appropriately? And why? And who speaks to you aggressively? Boundary setting is an important part to asserting yourself. You'll never be in a healthy relationship unless both parties know how to set boundaries with each other and then abide by those boundaries. We use I statements. Define what they are doing. Tell them what you need them or want them to do. And the most important part is to tell them that if they continue doing whatever that is, what your consequence will be. So an example would be like, I feel angry when you speak to me this way. I need you to lower your voice, stop calling me names, and respect me as a person that you say you care about. Now, if you continue to do this, I will remove myself from your life until you can do these things that I need you to do. So whatever boundary you set, make sure you're willing to follow through on the consequence. So I, I encourage everybody to learn the concept of boundary setting. Self-acceptance is another one that's very difficult for people. And self-acceptance is to accept all parts of ourselves, such as our body, emotions, thoughts, actions, and dreams. This has nothing to do with our actions or what we do. You may not want to be doing this assignment. I can acknowledge my feelings, experience them, accept them, and then do this. Many people believe that if we accept who and what we are, we must approve of everything about us. Others believe that if we accept who and what we are, we are indifferent to change or improvement. And this isn't the case. The truth is that acceptance is the precondition to change. So if we don't accept it, 
we can't change it because we're really in denial. If I don't accept that I'm an addict or I'm an alcoholic, then there's nothing to work on. What do you have a difficult time accepting about yourself? So if we're to recap on the poor success rate and why people have such a hard time maintaining long-term sobriety, the first step that we did look at was motivation. And the motivation by pain, as we discussed, will never last. But the reality is, is that everybody that comes through treatment and comes into treatment are originally going to be motivated by something that will not last for them. And for a lot of people, that is the reasons why they don't make it. They're not really doing it because of what they want for their life. They're doing it because of what they don't want in their life. And again, eventually that pain will go away. A lot of people originally fall into the what we can call the fuckets. And these are people that really don't care and they really don't want this. I've been in that spot many times. What is that a sign of? It's a sign of poor self-esteem. It's a sign that I really don't care about myself and that I really don't love myself. And that's another place that we really wanna look at is self-esteem. You have to care. And then once I'm able to care, then I have to learn to start making better decisions. And I have to look at impulse control. That exercise we talked about with the pros and cons and the positives and negatives to sobriety versus using is many times based on the idea that, yes, I do want to stay clean and sober, but then those cravings hit. My mindset starts to change. I start thinking differently. But then I need to take a step back. I need to sit down, grab pen and paper, and start writing out what those positives and negatives are to reload look at what do I really value in life? What's important? I believe that if we went to the 12-step program and we looked at that first step, we admitted we were powerless over whatever and our life is unmanageable. I believe that if people believe that they are 100% powerless while using, they're never going to use again. Most of the people that relapse believe that they are 80% powerless, but that leaves 20% power. And for that drug abuser's mind, and especially in that time of craving, and they're going to latch on to the power. So that 20%. And one of the main keys of what I discussed and the thing that will absolutely make it or break it is that commitment. You have to be committed. You have to make that decision that I will stay clean and sober no matter what. There's nothing that has to happen that I'm going to get loaded over. I have to be committed. So many people that relapse, they're not committed. Yeah, they may want it. Yeah, they may have interest in staying clean and sober. But once something bad happens, then they have excuses. And that's usually what it is. It's excuses that people make. Like that quote I had said, We have to be prepared for the inevitable emotional hit. We got to be proactive. We got to plan ahead. What are the possible things that can happen in my life that are going to push me towards returning to use? And I have to think about those and I have to plan for those things because life's going to hit us. So whatever brought you to that place to where you felt like you needed to get clean and sober, that's perfect. That's great. But let's start looking at the bigger world. Let's start deferring that immediate gratification for bigger goals. I wanted to touch real quick before I end this on failure. I had brought this up at the beginning of the podcast. And again, in my book, Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. I'm somebody that has been clean and sober, has relapsed. I had 11 years clean and sober and uh, made some bad decisions and poor choices. And I returned to using for six months. Was I a failure? And this is something that I think everybody really needs to consider. And a lot of people fall into that mindset of, oh, I lost everything and I'm a failure. And But that's not true. I came to a realization that I didn't lose anything. Everything I knew, everything I learned, every experience that I had, I still had those things. I didn't lose any of those things. And so failure only exists once we give up. If I succeed in in recovery and then I relapse and then I get back and I'm doing well, 
and then I return to using. Am I a failure? I am if I stop. But if I keep moving forward and I do it again and I eventually reach that place where I've achieved it, I've done it, I've set my goals, I'm doing things with my life, I'm empowered, then I never failed. I just had to take some additional steps to get to that place of success. So failure doesn't exist. And I'm very excited about some future podcasts I have. I'm going to have Jody Barber on a podcast hopefully coming up soon and she was the creator of Overtaken, that documentary. And uh, I'm going to talk about other some various different uh, topics and I'm really excited because I'm setting up some other interviews and having some other people on the show. So please stay tuned. I want to thank you again for listening. And this again is Recovering Through Highness.